0: We're in the middle or toward the end of a series on the book of Mark. It's a, one of the, the shortest gospel and one of the ones I'm most attracted to, if you can even say that, uh, but just the way he goes about it. He's just real hard-hitting. He doesn't spend a lot of time on details. He's just like, fast-forward, fast-forward, and tell the next thing and get to the next point, and I kind of love that about Mark's personality and the way that he expressed the gospel to us. Last week, we looked at this story about the rich young ruler, you know, it's like a... Stereotype. Uh, we have done some research in the Hebrew. Found out his name is Ricky. Okay, uh, Ricky the rich young ruler. And so Rick uh, had this issue because he had done everything so well, and he brings that to the table. And he goes, "Hey Jesus, check it out. Now what do you want me to do?" And I get that because I'm kind of like that sometimes. You know, I'm I'm that. I'm like Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me. And I. I totally understand the cross and grace and everything and what it took for me to be in the kingdom, for me to be in Christ. But I got it. I got it now. I'm good, and I'm going to go. And this isn't that what a lot of us do? We take off from that point, uh, and we move forward kind of in our flesh, and we're going we're to, like, what do I got to do? Just tell me what to do. And God, do you like me now? do you am i am i in am i in yet and there's always that little feeling isn't it like am i there have i have i done enough and this guy even says i've kept all the commandments now we know he kind of hadn't you know and we read between the lines and we find out some things we're going eh, actually i don't know if anybody's ever going to be able to do that but then he moves forward and, and, and he sees this huge truth that it's just so hard for him to wrap his mind around and this 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 concept of grace and looking back on it and we read texts like that and we think why couldn't he see the simplicity of this but then we do the same thing we do the same thing and how weird that must have been you know for him to to be trying to wrap his mind around that, and then here's this guy hanging next to Jesus on the cross who does absolutely zero i mean nothing uh he cuts it so close, and some of you are playing that game, and I don't that's really risky i don't know I wouldn't do that i just I'm telling you that's uh it worked for him, but I don't think it's you know it's a good strategy where just the moments before his death, you know, he's breathing his last breath, and, and, he, and he gets it all of a sudden, and he's got nothing. There's no promises. There's no bragging about, you know, I don't know if you've seen my resume, but I was pretty religious, and I went to a lot of Bible studies, and let me tell you, I've memorized the entire 12th chapter of Romans. I can recite that for you right now. What do I get? You know, he didn't have any, anything. He had never been to vacation Bible school, okay? He hasn't, he's nothing. And he doesn't have anything to promise. You ever promise God stuff? Oh yeah, I've made a hundred promises. God, if you help me right now. I'm serious. I know before, I've said some, I know, but if you get me through this test, if you give me, if you do, if you erase, then here's what I'm going to do. Here's what, and we start bargaining And that's the way we kind of approach our whole spiritual life. And the whole time, and that's what this series has been about, the whole time Jesus is trying to say, stop it. You don't get it. You don't get it. I have a good friend who was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, we were talking a lot just over coffee and meals, uh, just about the grace of God. And it was so hard for him to take that step. One day we were on Bearden Hill. We were eating at a Mexican restaurant. It's not there anymore. Um, No, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is there. Um, And uh, we were talking about Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, which says, it's the gift of God, not of yourselves. Uh, So nobody can brag or nobody can boast. And it's just And I'll never forget, you know, he's cutting through a burrito and he drops his fork and he looks up and he said, It's a gift. I said, Yeah. And he got it. And we both just started crying because it's like the, the light came on. And that's what grace does. That's what grace does. Here's the big idea about this message today and the transition from folks like us, folks like rich young rulers, to folks like us. This thief on the cross. Here's the big idea. In God's new kingdom, because the old one's obsolete, okay, and some of you are trying to blend those, you know, and you're trying to make that fit. Now, this is a new kingdom. Religion and power have been replaced with grace and redemption. Something brand new is happening here, okay? Something totally different, and that's why it was so hard for them to, to figure this out. Because it just... You know how you take your own ideas and your concept and your history and everything you've done and are experienced up until this moment and you try to make that fit? Or you see things through that filter. I and mean, that's what we do. We do that with everything, right? Uh, you do that with romance. You do that with, uh, with a job. You, you do that with all kinds of relation things especially and so that's that's his tendency and jesus is breaking that he's just so tearing that apart and here's the application so what am i going to do if i know that i get that big idea what do i do next you know i always want i always ask that question uh whether i'm on this side of things if i'm standing up you know like here or if i'm sitting back there i go so what are you trying to get me to do you know is it something i got to do is it something, the transition? How do, I, how do I place this into my life? So here's, here's the application. Jesus' actions teach us to stop trusting in, in, in all these man-made traditions, all these things we've invented that we think is going to get us there and keep us there, or trying to save ourselves just give our lives in surrender, in submission, in dependence to Jesus. That was a tough transition for me in the beginning because I'm kind of cynical, and I asked my Christian friends a ton of questions, and I made fun of them, and I poked at them about, well, how come? And I would ask, you know those questions that you ask or people ask you that are just virtually impossible and they have no relevancy whatsoever in your life but you ask those questions you know well if god you know well how come and and it's none of those things that I was really concerned about it was just a way of dodging the holy spirit it's just way it's like a coping mechanism for me to not face the fact i really needed something plus the fact that my exposure and maybe your exposure to jesus has come through a lot of other filters you know, and I had visited churches, and I had some people like in my family or in my life who seemed to contradict everything that I was reading about him, I thought, wow, this doesn't fit, but that became an excuse. That becomes your go-to position of, well, fill in the blank, what is it for you? Uh, you ever heard that you know, all those hypocrites down at the church? And I think, well, what does that have to do with you and Jesus? There's hypocrites at your job. There's hypocrites in Nealon Stadium. There's, you know, um, I mean, you know, come on, come on. Over 2,000 years ago, the Sadducees uh, had this tradition. They were loaded up with traditions, okay? And some of those started off like, probably a good thing, or it was based, you know, behind everything, there's something that's true, there's something that's legitimate, but then it just spins off in all kinds of crazy directions, or we make the process the thing. You know, we, we, we kind of hitch ourselves to something along the way, instead of what was true. So that's what the Sadducees had done. They believed, they had developed this belief system, it was really legalistic, really tough, that, that Messiah would show up Four days before Passover, it's all going to be about Passover, and this is as you as you continue to read or kind of look back at, at the way this unfolded, it kind of made sense. And Passover is a big deal, huge deal, bigger than if you're like Fourth of July and you're in Washington D.C. at the i mean, you know—it's just like everything comes together. It's a big thing. They even kept the gates of the temple open so that if Messiah showed up, he could just walk right in. You know, it's, it's like, I think, well, if Messiah shows up, I don't think the gates are going to be a problem. But just in case, and to show their attitude of expectancy, they would open the gates. I kind of like the symbolism of that, but uh, it was mostly just more, more stuff that they were doing that didn't have a lot of deep meaning for them. I don't think they really expected him. It was just what they did. But in this Hebrew, this nationalism and this, this fervor that was always at its peak on this particular day, everything ramped up to Passover. I was like, this is I, I'm trying to think of something because I don't know if we have anything. Maybe Christmas. You know how we kind of d- d- do that? We start, um, and and I'm gonna get nostalgic, okay? Cause I'm old, I'm an old person, and you're not supposed to nod. <laughs> He's nodding like, yeah. We love it when dinosaurs talk to us because we don't even know what you're saying. But when I was a boy, um, you didn't start. I mean, it was like you waited till after Thanksgiving, and you didn't, you didn't decorate, you didn't buy gifts, you didn't talk about it, and then you began to transition because now Christmas is coming, and you go into that season. Now it's like Halloween you go to the store, and there's, there's Christmas decorations out. Uh, and, you know, it, it, that's kind of what I'm saying. We don't even have something like this, but everybody built up to this. So, the Romans uh, would have all the troops, they're on high alert, everybody's on guard. Those, here, come those Jewish people, and they're gathering, and they're expecting maybe Messiah's going to come. And a lot of Messiahs did come and left again, you know, they weren't the right guy, but, you know, it was just that kind of moment. And they were always in fear, because this had happened before, that there would be some kind of a revolt. You know, there's gonna be a rebellion, they're gonna take this opportunity, and, you know, they're they're quietly planning this, and there's gonna be this huge uprising, and we're gonna have to put that down real real quickly, um, because some religious radical is gonna say, "'It's me, I'm Messiah,' And here we go again. That had all happened in the past. So tensions are high. Everybody's a little anxious, a little nervous, you know, and, and paying more attention. And then, here's what happened. Let's read together what's going to happen, what's gonna happen um, in this familiar uh, historical event. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, go into that village over there. And I think that's a little southern thing for Jesus. He didn't just say, go to that village. He said, over there. We just add stuff. Go go over yonder that village. And he told them, as soon as you enter it, you'll see a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Now, only, only wealthy people or people going to war rode horses. Everybody rode donkeys. I mean, it was just a very common form of transportation. Uh, you couldn't afford anything else. Uh, Untie it, bring it here. If anybody asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. I don't know. Try that on Gay Street, or just, yeah, go up to somebody's bicycle or their car and go, yeah, the Lord needs, needs your Corvette. So I'll be, you know, if you don't mind, I'll be, I'll be right back with this. Um, Two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the house. How much, you know, that moment must have been like, how do you do that? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so they find that. As they're untying it, some bystanders demanded, hey, what are you doing untying that colt? You know, they said to Jesus, uh, they said what Jesus had told them to say and that they were permitted to take it. I don't know. They didn't have any badges or, yeah, at least, yeah, I've got that. You got that paper that, you know, and it's, well, they just said that. And uh, then they brought the colt to Jesus. And all, the, the, whoever was questioning went, oh, okay. And they threw their garments over and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their coats on the road ahead of Jesus and others cut leafy branches in the fields and spread them along the way. He was in the center of the procession. And all the crowds around him were shouting, Praise God! Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. At one sentence, It's just loaded. He looked around carefully at everything, and then he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he went to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Now, the next thing that happens is really kind of this bizarre event that papers and papers and books are written about when Jesus cursed the fig tree. I'll come back to that in just a little bit. The people of Jerusalem absolutely knew Scripture, they knew it backward and forward ever since these babies. They've, been, they've memorized this. They've been taught it again and again and again. Uh, they knew all the stories, the prophecies, the poetry. They, they, they knew it all. Uh, and on that day, here they are, four days before Passover. They kind of get it. They know what scriptures apply and what would come to everybody's mind. And I think the scripture that relates to this and what would have come to their mind is, is this. It's in Zechariah. Uh, chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, and it says this, just to give you a little background, I know many of you have this memorized, but I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Oh, wow. This is the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Exactly as predicted by Zechariah. There are all these prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus is the only person in human history who ever fulfilled all those prophecies. Absolutely incredible. Literally impossible, but it happened. That was one of the factors that led me to investigate the claims of Christ. I've shared that with you. some of you before, that the prophecies really fascinated me. And how did he do that? Now, the ones like this, you think maybe he could have rigged it, maybe he could have had somebody on the outside helping him, a big conspiracy, you know, kind of a theory. But he couldn't, he could never have manipulated where he was going to be born, who his parents were, what his lineage was going to be. How did he do that? I mean, he couldn't have done that. Well, this prophecy is fulfilled uh, exactly as predicted. Jesus would have been coming from Bethany, uh, the Mount of Olives, He's riding across the Kidron Valley, uh, and they, they call it a valley. It's really, it's, it's more like if you, if you just Google this, you can see it's kind of like a steep canyon, you know. So he's, he's riding this, and he would have ridden, it's just it's, I know this is geeky, so just give me a minute, okay? And some think, we really don't care about the geography? But I think it's cool that he would have ridden right past the original site, the city where King David, what he had built like the epicenter of that, he rides right past that. And it was built, and it's, it's outside of the city walls. And then coming up this ridge, he would have, you know, it would have been right outside the city where the temple would have been directly sitting behind this wall. Now, that's significant because that was the most prominent structure anywhere. That was the most notable place uh, that everybody was familiar with. Yeah, you go down to the temple, you know, everybody knew. Now, today in Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock, um, a, a Muslim structure, you know, is the most prominent feature there. And if you've ever seen pictures of Israel or videos or anything or, or Jerusalem, you see that, right? It's just, it just kind of like dominates. It draws your eye to it. That's the place. So Jesus is dri- you know, driving, <laughs> driving. He's driving right by. He's pedaling right by there. Uh, and, and that's where Jesus is entering the city four days before Passover. <sighs> okay. Uh, he's on a call. He's right outside the temple. Do you see how all of this is coming together? Okay. Um, what is, uh, it's just so hard to imagine this. For as long as anyone could remember, um, This had been the tradition. They've heard about it, they've read about it, they've talked about it, all of this for their entire life. And all of a sudden, on this day, here's Jesus. Clearly, you know, he's everything's happening, he's going to the temple. uh, And it just began to sweep through as the awareness of, you know, you can just, can you feel that? People looking at each other going, hey wait a minute as my grandson would say wait a minute it's one of his new phrases you thought we were going to have a whole worship service and me not mention a grandchild (laughs) yeah right okay so wait a minute is that is he writing in is he on a? is this what is today that's him i think that's him and so so that began to just sort of go through you know all these people and it it begins to happen and, and every, everybody just goes crazy. They set out branches in front of him, which they had done stuff like that before. I mean, it's not like the only time this has ever happened, but today it's real significant. They'd never done it for Jesus or somebody like him. So they put those in front of him, and they throw, you know, coats down and stuff. And it, it makes the way uh, smoother. It honors him, and it just makes it real beautiful. You know, it's a real different kind of thing uh, that they would do. And there are a lot of visitors in Jerusalem at this time. You got to remember that uh, this is traditional Passover. Uh, it's it's a big deal, okay? Bigger than Mother's Day. It's big, uh, which was I relate to because that was one of the two, three days of the year I ever went to church as a child. Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, the holiest of all days, <laughs> uh, was was that day. So everybody's there. It's Passover. A lot of the guests, you know, the visitors who were there in town would, would walk to the, to the temple and they had these branches in their hand to worship with, you know, just kind of wave them. Kind of like when you go worship uh, yesterday at the orange and white game, you know, and you wore orange or you wore white and you had shakers or you had, you know, all these accessories and things uh, that I didn't. So you kind of get the enthusiasm. And how people had these these souvenirs and things, so they 're waving these branches, um, and as the, they would walk to the temple for worship, they would sing songs. We do stuff like that, right? Uh, we sing rocky top, we, you know, uh, <laughs> like I keep referring to, i don 't know why this was not playing like there 's our temple, you understand <laughs> you drive you drive down there and you go yeah there 's our temple that 's you know um, okay that i 'm sorry you 're probably really offended. Um, And one of the songs that they sing, their Rocky Top, was, (laughs) later I'm going to go back and say, can you just take that off YouTube? Because that's a really thin analogy. One of the songs they sang most often was Psalm 118. That's all they sang, okay? Do you know that at one time in our history, which was not so long ago, when people began to sing not just the Psalms, but this new radical contemporary music called hymns? that it split the church, and then when they started using instruments, <gasps> I mean, it was just revolutionary. It caused disruption all over Europe, everywhere. How dare you? You know, you can't do that. And then after a while, that was accepted, and it just keeps, you know, it kind of keeps going. Well, they were singing Psalm 118, which is what they would say, you know, as Jesus is entering the city. So you've got that in your imagination? Can you see that? And that they literally begin to sing and to say in Hebrew, "Lord, please save us! Lord, please save us!" Now we're reading this because we already get—we know, we know what's happening—and we think, "Oh my! You don't even know what you're saying! You—you you have no idea the significance." They have all these expectations of Jesus. He's wow, and they praise him. I think for two reasons. One is because of all the miracles that he had performed. Nobody had ever done that before. And it was just a little while before this that he had gone so far, not just to heal people, which was huge, that was crazy, um, and, and all the other things he had done, he actually brought a guy back from the dead. His name was Lazarus. And everybody's talking about that. It's blowing up everybody's, well, they didn't have a lot of stuff to blow up, but they were talking about it, okay? So everybody's talking about that, uh, that and the word had gotten around uh, about that. And then the second thing that I think is they see in Jesus somebody who could make their life better. And isn't that a little bit of the attraction for us? And maybe that was even part of the sales pitch for you at some time, I remember my Christian friends trying to get me, you know, to embrace Christianity, to, to come to Jesus, and they're like, here's what you get. And they would list, you know, oh, did we mention, you know, uh, what about the forgiveness of sins? Seriously? Yeah. And not just the ones you've already done, all your future sins. Really? Yeah. And oh, wait, I hadn't told you the best part. Heaven. I get to go to heaven? Yeah, you get to go to heaven. And let me tell you about heaven. You know? And so there was, there was all this. And, and, and all of this is taking place. And people are thinking what in their mind is the big, the, the win is this. They see in Jesus somebody that's going to make their life better in one particular way, one powerful way. This is the guy that's going to free them finally from Roman oppression that was what mattered. That's what they got up every day and lived under, this bondage, this oppression. And they hated the Romans. And they wanted out from under this. They wanted to be free. And in their thinking, Messiah is our ticket. That's what's going to make it happen. So, yeah, of course. That, that's, they all showed up. They all showed up for this. Well, the thing... <laughs> Here's what happens. Uh, Jesus didn't perform, as far as we know, any miracles on his ride in. That must have been a little anticlimactic, you know, as he was riding along, nothing happened. Uh, His teaching that they thought, here it comes, he's going to start saying, and now freedom for all people and rise up, and they're expecting this rally, you know, to, to happen. His teachings are mostly on submission and commitment from this point forward. Nothing glamorous. Nothing like real. This isn't kind of what we were thinking about. They wanted to know how are you going to make my life easier? <laughs> how are you going to make things better? Uh, they wanted to hear about getting. How, are you going to get rid of the problem? The R O M A N S. Are you going to? Are you going to? Is this going to? Is this what you're here for? Jesus did come to make life better. He absolutely does. I lived a lot of years without him. and did whatever I want to do. And I had a lot of fun. I would never trade. One day, one hour, one minute, I would never go back. I never would take a breath again without him. He does make life better. And he does help me to deal with my life's problems. Not that pastors have any problems, but, but it just didn't happen in the way they expected. Maybe it didn't happen in the way you expected. Maybe you thought, this isn't really going the way they told me about with the flannel graph. You know, uh, this, isn't, this isn't rolling out like I thought it was going to. Jesus didn't come to give us a new life philosophy. He didn't come to be a great example to follow. That nonsense about him being a good teacher. He's, he doesn't even come to make us good people. And I just messed with some of you when I said that. Because you thought it was all about your morality. Oh, my behavior is better. I think that's why Jesus came. To make me, you know, from Dan to Dan point two oh. You know, he, he changed, made me a little better. And that was it. That's really, we missed the point. We missed the point. Just like the rich young ruler missed it. He comes to deal with the burden of your sin. That which has infected your soul and your life and has in its path wreaked all kind of devastation and damage and hurt and wounds. And some of you have memories and you have pains that have come from out and from within because of sin. Just because of sin. Well, that's true in my life, and it's caused so much grief and hurting, and it's wrecked relationships, and it's created this distance between people we love, and it just leaves us empty again and again and again, and you think, oh, this is, I think, that, and then it turns out to be another disappointment, um, and, and all that changes, and this is what Jesus started teaching, submission, which I know you don't like that word, uh, commitment. Uh, to God, and all of this, you know, th- there was a, I was, I was reading about this talk show host who was being interviewed, and isn't that weird, you know, it's kind of like turn the tables, and they ask her, if you, th- do you think God would be disappointed with you, because she was using some bad language, I said, do you think God's going to be disappointed with you after you dies, after you, di- <laughs> after you dies, that's not correct, done dies, after you done dies, um, and, and she said, um, God ought to be happy. I'm doing the best I can. What she said kind of sounds fair a little bit. I mean, what can be better than the best that I can do? You ever said that? You ever said that to your mom? I'm doing the best I can. You ever said that to your husband? I am doing the best I can. And you want to say something snarky back like, you're telling me that meatloaf is the best you got? I don't. I don't think so. No, you don't say that. Um, you eat it and you smile and you like it. Okay, a little marriage tip for you. Okay, um, not that. Okay, this is. Uh, yeah, here I go. <laughs> oh, baby. Okay, <laughs> she's a wonderful cook from a long line of Coldwater, Mississippi. Okay, I'm. I'm so distracted. We just get back to the Word of God. All right. How many of us can stand and claim, I'm doing the best I can? God, give me a break. I'm doing the best I can. And some of you said it sincerely. You didn't say it mean. You didn't, you weren't malicious. You were maybe desperate, or you just didn't think, I don't understand. What do you want from me? I'm doing the best I can. And that's the problem. That's the problem. He never said that's what he wanted us to do. Other people told us that. And after a while, we began to think, this is what it's all about. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to do my best for God. That's what the rich young ruler thought. I don't get it. I don't understand. What's the problem? I'm doing my best. Isn't that basically kind of what he was saying? What will be the criteria that God will consider for my acceptance? There was a movie star who uh, was asked, are you religious? You know, do, what, what, do you, what do you think about God? And here, here was her answer. Well, I'm not really into it. I'm not a very religious person, which is kind of cool, kind of trendy, has been now for several years, um, that, that idea. But I should go to heaven. I haven't done anything wrong. Gulp. You know. uh, my conscience is clean. Direct quote, my soul is as white as orchids. I should go straight to heaven. It would be so hard for me to say that with a straight face. I, mean, I, just don't, think, I don't think I could pull that off in front of anybody. Yeah, no, I, no I, don't, I don't think I've ever, no, I can't think of anything. I think that would just be really hard for me to sell that to anybody. Um, and I think that's, especially in America, uh, most people would echo that in some way or the other. I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, I think, you know what, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not a murderer. And isn't it funny that when we compare ourselves on the morality scale, we always compare ourselves with people we consider less moral. Yep, never killed anybody. Okay, you go to heaven. (laughs) We never compare ourselves. You know, what about me and Mother Teresa? What about me and Billy Graham? Ooh, what about me and the Apostle Paul? Oh, this is getting a little, you know, what if that's the standard? Ah, you see, but we don't do it that way. So, What about these people who welcomed Jesus one day and then they cursed him the next day? Or, still worse, they just, what I think is worse, they ignored him. They disappeared. They went on with their life and Jesus is condemned to death. Hello? (laughs) And you can imagine that road that led in Jerusalem it looked like the aftermath of Woodstock or Bonnaroo. You know, there's just all this stuff everywhere, and they're like, no people. Hey, guys. Weren't they doing their best? I mean, they all had obligations to fulfill, and I got to get back to work, and oh, I got a test tomorrow. And I mean, couldn't they say to themselves, you know what, I really don't think I've done as much wrong. My conscience is clean. That's a game that we play. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, my conscience is clear. Wouldn't you just love to cross out everything that comes after that? If I could just stop right there and go, my conscience is clear, I'm good to go. But that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. I thought the ultimate criteria, or the, or the measuring place, the point of reference, was my conscience. And see, you may have stepped in thinking, what do you got? My conscience is clear. As if that is what we get to sign off on. Paul says, my conscience is clear too, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. I think we kid ourselves, you we fool ourselves. A clear conscience isn't that relevant. A lot of the people involved in terrorism terrorists have clear conscience the Nazis had a clear conscience that didn't make them right just because my conscience is clear because yours is doesn't make you innocent the idea that God ought to be pleased with me just doing the best I can from a biblical perspective, what the real gospel teaches, that's shaky. That is, that's just, where do we get that idea? Not once in the life and the ministry of Jesus did he ever tell anybody, just do the best you can. I was visiting somebody in the hospital, and I said, you know, are you in Christ, right? Are you living your life in Jesus? And is he, well, I'm doing the best I can, I just reached over, no, I didn't do that. But uh, but I just thought, wow, yeah, I kind of thought that too, but that's not, he never, you remember the woman who got caught red-handed in adultery? And it's this dramatic scene, she is humiliated, she's just caught, and everybody's picking up these, like, bowling ball-sized stones, and they're about to execute her in the most brutal barbaric fashion you can imagine and jesus stops it and he saves her life he saves her life and she's just weeping and the the dust and the tears and just like mud on her face and everybody's scattering and and she's just she can't believe what just happened and is this uh, i'm gonna go free and she looks at Jesus, and Jesus said, Now, you go. Do your best. You go. and I want you just to try a little harder. Tomorrow when you get up, have a longer quiet time. I notice you've been missing church every night. Get back in church. That's what my grandmother used to tell me. I just wish you'd get back in church. i uh, all these things. No, Jesus didn't say any of that. He said, what he said was even harder. He said, go and stop. this. Don't sin anymore. That behavior's got you where you are today, and you begin to understand something about grace, so don't keep leaning into that. Don't go back to your old, you know, what has that ever gotten you? Not, here you are, you know, you just escaped death, you know, by a moment, and Don't don't engage in that again. Stop that. Stop that. And this is really what Jesus would tell people over and over again: Stop believing the lie. He doesn't expect our best effort. A God who is happy with me just doing the best I can is really not the kind of God I need. And if this is what we expect, then our whole perspective is just skewed. It's just, we're not even using the right reference point. We're like those people waving branches as Jesus goes by. He's like, thank you. I kind of know where you're going to be tomorrow. Really appreciate you showing up, but I know your heart. Now, on that day, 2,000 years ago, people are lined the street, they're all thrilled and everybody's excited, they're going to quickly turn away. And and everyone did. All of Jesus' friends, all of his disciples, everyone who said, we're with you. You know, the day he rode into that city, um, everybody disappeared and he died alone and despised see i would have thought the people he healed they would have said you know i was blind and he did heal me or i couldn't i hadn't walked it since i was a baby and i'm gonna show up i'm staying with him or where were the people he raised from the dead i mean what are you gonna do kill me been there done that you know i'm gonna stay with jesus no nobody Here's the, nobody was doing their best. No, no. And that's really good news for us because you can get off the treadmill. You can stop jumping through the hoops. God isn't looking for people who will do their best. God isn't interested in something so monotonous. God is looking for people who will recognize I have a broken life, I need healing. I need forgiveness. I'm old school, and um, when I began to walk with Jesus, there was a guy I liked a lot. His name was Keith Green. And I remember one of his concerts once, he said, the grace that saved you is the grace that keeps you. We don't step into Christ and then say, okay now I'm going to try to do my best for you. No, the kingdom of Jesus would be something so different. It would make everything else obsolete. So I just want to live in and through you. All his friends, his disciples, Pharisees, Sadducees, everybody who condemned him and those who just went along and the thousands of people who lined the street that day waving these branches and singing their songs would later in a sense betray him but many of those became ardent passionate followers of Jesus after resurrection see the cross was so powerful a lot of people have been crucified nobody had ever come back from that until Jesus next Sunday morning we're going to talk about that one historical event that has done more to change everything in history than any other event or all the other events put together the resurrection of Jesus. And these people who had turned away and were trying all these other things, the resurrection changed everything. It was this awakening. It was the most disruptive event that humans have ever experienced. And after that, when you see a guy come back from the dead, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm I'm kinda with him. Um, they changed the world. They didn't back down because now they could rely on someone they knew was greater than themselves. They had the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a game changer. Our next series, when we finish Mark, and I'm kind of doing this, I told Kevin, I'm doing this Star Wars style. We're doing the sequel and the prequel, and and we're going to go through the resurrection And then I'm going to go back a couple of chapters and talk about a few things that we we didn't get to talk about as this series sort of flowed chronologically. But then, after after this series, we're going to talk about the sequel. What happened next with all these people? The difference was the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a series called Pentecost. We're going to talk about the book of Acts and and what these people experienced with God in them not just around them it was clear they couldn't do it on their own you know that because you've tried to do it on your own it doesn't really work they tried on the day of Jesus this triumphal entry and they failed a few days later miserably I know, I've done that too But now, after the resurrection, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us doing our best. It's about the Spirit of God living in me and expressing his joy and his love and his grace to a world around me. And assuring and affirming me every day in unique and beautiful ways who he is in me. I think this is the reason. Remember in the beginning I said, we'll come back and I'll, I'll mention this um, this curious event right after all this happened and Jesus in the city and they come back out and it's in all the Gospels uh, that Jesus sees a fig tree and he's really hungry and he's going to get something to eat. Now the fig trees there are bloom like 10 months out of 12 and there, there are some seasons when there are more or not but the way you tell and I've got Three fig trees in my yard. We we, we have fig trees. Uh, it's nothing spiritual about us. I don't He's so godly. He even has fig trees. Uh, it's not. I don't have dates or pomegranates or any of the or camel or anything. Um, but we have fig trees. Um, but the flowers come. You know, the blooms come first, and that tells you. Oh, there's fruit. Because the fruit is kind of the same color as the leaves and you know they're camouflaged, you don't see them. But when you see the leaves, you know, oh, there's fruit. So Jesus gets up close to this fig tree and, and he's like, there's no figs. You're pretending, you're showing something that's not there. It's a hypocrite. It's a fake. And Jesus, uncharacteristically Jesus being Jesus curses the tree and says, you may never bear fruit again. And in Matthew's gospel, it doesn't say anymore, but in Matthew's gospel, it said the next day they came back by, the tree had withered. The tree had died. And they're, here, do you see what I see? Yeah, the tree, yeah, I see the tree. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, it just withered. And folks, that's what happens to us when we just fake it. When we embrace religion, and the show, the fig tree was a national symbol of Israel. It was actually carved on the side, the outside wall of the temple. It was synonymous with with light, with with you know, with Judaism. And what Jesus is saying is that doesn't work. It was always outside. It was always religion. What I'm doing in my kingdom, it's an inside thing. So let me ask you: Is that true for you? Have you just embraced church or religion or a hundred other things? Are you counting on yourself and your best efforts? Hey, you, just, you can let go of all that. You can just let go and let Jesus be Jesus in you. It's all the difference in the world. Now, if you're already in Christ, but you realize I've just been living in my foot, I've just been trying to do my best, it's not working. Jesus giving you permission today, you can, you can stop that now. Just say, Jesus, you be you and me. If you've never embraced this, for whatever your reasons are, this is what you're looking for. He's real. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together. Let's just worship. And wherever you are in your journey, take the next step. Take one step. Take one step in the right direction. If you want somebody to pray with you, we've got pastors and we've got men and women here who love Jesus and we're just doing this together. We're a community. We'd love to pray with you and over you. Let's do that right now.